All right. Good morning, everybody. Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapters 14 and 15, I believe. No. Yep. That's what I have on the board, and that's what we're doing. We, uh, <laughs> we had a good night of worship last Sunday night over at the bridge. It was, uh, for those of you who were able to make it, of course, you know, if you weren't able to, we'll try to do it again so you guys can get there. It was just a real nice time. Um, it was, uh, I even got uh, one of the guys, uh, um, Arnold, uh, stopped me uh, and at Hy-Vee, and they really enjoyed it too. So thank you for joining us for that, and, and it was good to, to worship with them. Um, there's more announcements. There's a, a women's uh, Saturday luncheon coming up, and the, the sign-ups out there, and so are the flyers. Please take those and put your name down if you plan on coming. Um, that way we know how much food to order. But as far as other announcements go, that's where we're going to stop. We'll, we'll pick up next week. And there's slides that play, and they kind of give you some of the updates, but I want to get into this because there's two chapters. Um, chapters 14 and 15, we pick up the story of uh, the nation of Israel being divided up into two groups, the two lower tribes and the ten upper tribes. You've got two tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin. Uh, then they're going to be called Judah or they're going to be called the house of David. So when we say those words, that's what they mean. Then you're going to say, whenever it says Israel, though, that's the, the ten, the ten tribes. Now what happened was Solomon's dead. Um, his son uh, started to rule and reign and decided to make it harder instead of easier for the people. Uh, Jeroboam, who was a political exile in uh, Egypt, uh, couldn't get along with Solomon for some reason, um, saw that as a great opportunity to come in. Uh, and he led the 10 tribes of the north away from this new ruler, uh, the son of Solomon, because he's going to make it easier. I've got two calves. He made two golden calves and put them in different spots so that worship could be more convenient and everything. And they said, well, yeah, I mean, you know, easier uh, and, and, and all. We don't want hard labor. So they had a couple paths laid out for him, hard and obedient to the one true living God, but a, but a creepy king, or disobedient, rejecting God, and, but an easier road, they thought, anyway. And so that's what they picked, these ten tribes. And it's, um, it's an interesting slippery slope there. Um, and we'll talk about that as we get into the chapters. But anyway, that's where we find ourselves. And so the, this opens up for us. Uh, we're going to toggle between the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel back and forth and try to keep track of who did what and where. Names probably aren't as important, um, but this is a good for us to um, give us waypoints of history is how these things are going. And for the most part, the kings didn't do what was right in the sight of the Lord. It's really difficult for them uh, to do that. We have one today. His name is Asa, and we'll get to him in chapter 15. So verse 1, chapter 14, at that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. Jeroboam is the king. And Jeroboam said to his wife, please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam. Go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah, not Abijah's the son who's sick, Ahijah's the prophet, okay? Ahijah, um, the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over this people. Also, take with you 10 loaves, so take some bread, some cakes uh, and a jar of honey and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. So in other words, go ask the prophet what's going to happen to our kid. He's not getting any better. 
And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of age. So he's blind. Okay. Um, that alone tells us a little bit about the relationship this new king had with anything spiritual. He didn't even know that the prophet over time has gone blind to the point where he tells his wife, you got to get dressed up and trick him or he's going to know it's you and, and so on. Okay. If he had known this, if he had been around this guy at all in the last two, three, five, ten years or whatever, he'd have known he was going blind and wouldn't have wasted. Just change your voice, honey. He won't know the difference, you know. So that's how far away he is. It gives us a little glimpse into that. But he also knows that although we're far away from God, I know there's only one place to get answers. I need to go to Jesus, or, you know, the prophet. I need to go to God. I need to find out what the truth is. Um, these dumb idols that I made, this golden calf, it ain't answering me, you know, kind of thing. Of course not. It's made of metal. You know, it's like looking at your car keys and saying, tell me, you know, what's tomorrow? It, it's nothing. It's absolutely worthless. And he knows that. But it's convenient and uh, it keeps him in power. But when he wants real answers, <clears throat> he knows who he has to go to. So, Verse 5, now the Lord had said to Ahijah, the prophet, here is the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. This is what we call from the New Testament as you have gifts of the Holy Spirit in, in uh, Corinthians. Um, this is one of those gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's a word of knowledge, uh, information that only comes from God. It can only come from him. It's not someone gave you information. It's not something you deduced on your own. It's something that's just, oh, and this is what that is. Now, it's verbal for sure. Um, and he's telling them exactly. And I'm very thankful, he says, and, and I want you to tell him thus and thus. Because thus and thus, we're about to read thus and thus, and thus and thus is a very, very long uh, prophecy. So here's what I want you to tell him. But he gives him ahead of time. Being blind physically, he still has way more sight than anybody on earth because he's walking with God. And we've really got to get that in our hearts. We've really got to understand that as believers in Jesus Christ, being blind physically is nothing compared to being blind spiritually. Being blind spiritually, you have very limited view. Some people, you, know, you say you stand up on top of a mountain on a clear day, you can see whatever, limited visibility. You cannot see as far as you think you can see. I think, what is it, 10 miles max? is what you can see. For the most part, you see four or five miles is as far as you can see all around you. That's all you have. And even then, it's just blur, you know. But when you have God, when you're walking spiritually, when you're paying attention to the Holy Spirit, you have very good visibility, much better than with your eyesight. You know the hearts and the thoughts and the intents of people if God wants to reveal those to you. You can walk much easier through this world with that. And when you are walking, as you're going to discover, the nation of Israel right now has rejected God, both, all of them, all 12 of them, really, for the most part, and they are governing themselves. And so their eyesight has, they've limited their eyesight so much so. Their spiritual sight is gone. And now all they can do is look at what they can see in front of them. And so with this blind guy, this blind prophet, he says, here's what's going to happen. Here's this, this, and this. Don't have to worry about it. So it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps, as she came through the door, he said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I've been sent to you with bad news. Go tell Jeroboam. And now we begin the thus and thus, the very long prophecy. 
Um, this is one of those Sunday mornings where, well, you, you maybe you've heard it said you've got to have bad days to know what good days are like. This is one of those Sundays. So if you came this morning and you're visiting, like I'm ready for a positive, encouraging message to get me going for the, yeah, you might want to come back next week or something. Or <laughs> maybe when we get to Ezra or something, it's going to be a while. But you won't be disappointed if you receive it this morning anyway. Um, God's word, when he tells us very honestly about people, I love this about our Lord, very honestly about these things, he is showing us this is what it looks like if you choose to go down this path. And that's just as important as the promises down this path. God says, I've given you two paths. There aren't 10, there aren't three. There are only two paths. I've given you the path of life and I've given you the path of death. Life is obedience to me. Death is in rebellion against me. That's it. There are no other paths in this world. Life path, death path. That's it. We're reading a death path. This is what it looks like on this path. The people have chosen, instead of being obedient to God, although they had a, a creepy king, they were still going to serve and worship God the way he wanted to, where he wanted to. They've decided to take an easier route and took the, life, the death path over here. And they followed this Jeroboam. And they're, being, they're worshiping calves and they're worshiping all sorts of other things we're going to see here. And Israel is doing that, but the other tribes are going to do it also. These other two tribes, Judah, the house of David, is also going to fall into this idolatry. The whole nation is falling off the map, basically. And so today, although we're not going to talk about, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you still can if he calls you to these things, not just because you choose to, this is what it looks like going down this wrong path. Okay? So here's the thus and thus. Part one. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes, but you have done more evil than all who were before you, for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold. Behold means look. We don't use that word a whole lot, you know. Honey, come behold this new house. It's, you know, you, know, you don't do that. But I want you to look at this. You see the expectation there? I think we forget that sometimes. I know I do sometimes. Because I did this, I set you up as ruler. I ripped it, all these 10 tribes away from the house of David so that you could set up and rule over here. And you knew all this, and, but you're not doing what I asked you to do. There's an expectation that God has upon this guy to see what God has done for him and for him to respond properly. And I think we can lack that sometimes in the church. We need to understand if I am truly a born again believer, I've received that beautiful gift of grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I love that part, but there's also the second part. He is my Lord and Savior. There's an expectation for then for this beautiful God to be your Lord, to be your King. And you choose to subject yourself to him. That's part of it. You don't get one without the other. James calls that dead faith. You can't be a hearer of the word and a nodder of the word and a Bible study collector of the word and not a doer of the word. 
It's just a no-brainer. When you are truly in love with the king of the universe, because of what he's done for you, you do things for him. You live for him. You walk with him. It's unreasonable to not do that. It doesn't make any sense, and it's a lie. You're lying to yourself and to the people around you about your Christianity. You can call yourself a Christian all you want, but if you're not doing what God's asked you to do in obedience to your king that you said you trusted in, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up. It's false. And so that's what he's calling them out. You, you saw me do all this stuff, you know it. In fact, so much so that you came to the prophet. So I'm going to talk about your boy real quick, but I'm also going to talk about a much bigger problem that you have. You're not being obedient to me. Your kid, that's just a way that I got you to start talking to me. He's going to be all right. He's going to die, but he's going to be with me. But as far as you and the whole house of Israel, this entire nation, you're getting evicted out of this land because of your rebellion against me. Much bigger issues at hand. Any parent knows this. Any parent that's got a wayward kid knows this. If you got a kid that's walking away from the Lord, you wait, don't you? When do I step in? This is your prayer as a parent. How long do I let them go? How far away do they go? When do I step in? When is rock bottom? What do I do? And I don't have an answer for you. Only the Holy Spirit can tell you when to step in. Am I supposed to be the prodigal father that waits for them to end up in the pig slop eating pig food and they decide to come back to me on their own or come back to God on their own? Or do I do something and avert a crisis? What do I do, God? We can see God the Father stepping in here. He's got a big issue. I've got a couple guys here ruling over my people that are not paying attention to me anymore. I don't know if you've ever read Lord of the Flies. This is not what the author intended, but that's a bunch of kids that were forced to begin to rule over themselves, and it did not go well at all. And we've got a bunch of people here on earth as the nation of Israel has rejected the God of the universe and said, we're going to govern ourselves, and it is not going well. They're already divided and fighting amongst themselves. It's a horrible situation, and we'll talk about division in a minute, because there is good division. It's not all bad. This is bad because they've rejected God, and they're governing themselves, and their selfish motives, and their pride is getting in the way, and they're beginning to bite and devour one another, and that happens. They need to get back to God. And this is God's way of stepping in, saying, I need to avert a crisis. I'm not worried about you two. You two may go to hell. You may reject me, but you're leading everybody else with you. I've got a generation currently that I can see, God says, of hundreds of thousands of people, and I can see their kids and their grandkids feeding hell like firewood. And so God says, I'm stepping in. I'm stepping in now. Here's what's going to happen. He says, look, because of your disobedience. I will bring disaster on the house. Just in case, I said that all. Please understand why I did all that. Because the tendency is to say, man, this is, about a, this is a harsh judgment, not given the scope of our problem. This has to happen. This Jeroboam and everybody associated with him is about to die. I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam, as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. Oh, man, it sounds like I'm going to judge everybody because of you. Not the case. He sees everybody properly. Believe me, no kid is dying for dad's sin, and it'll show itself here in a minute. But he can see the problems, and he's going to handle it. I'm just telling you right now, he says, I'm wiping you all out, including the one good kid that we're talking about here, and he, he elaborates on that. 
The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken, exclamation point. So this little blind prophet screaming at this lady. And she's come to ask about her sick kid. Now, we don't know how old he is. He calls him a child, so we're going to assume young. It doesn't matter. I mean, it does. As a parent with a sick kid, please miss, don't misunderstand me. I, of course. Of course. There's grace, there's mercy, there's love, compassion. This is a big deal. We're talking about a leader here. We're talking about how do I get word to him? He won't even come talk to me himself. He's sending his wife. That's how distant we are and how bad it is for everybody around him. You're all going to get eaten by animals, basically. And all Israel shall mourn. Now here it says this. Arise, therefore, go and tell your own house, or go to your own house, excuse me. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. He's going to die but he's going to be mourned and he's going to be buried like he's supposed to. And he's going to be with me. He's going to the right place because he's the only thing good left in this group. And you see God's eternal sight there, his foreknowledge. I'm looking at all y'all. And this is the only kid worth saving right now. He's the only one that has anything good left in him. He's the only one that's had a heart for me. Everybody else I can see, bad news. Only going to bring heartache to those around him. So I'm bringing him home. Now, some people, well, that's the answer she was looking for. No, that is the proof of the thus and thus we just read. The, the prophecy is so much bigger than how is his kid's health. His death, when she steps foot on the threshold, boom, the kid dies, is the proof that everything else I said is absolutely going to come to pass. And we talked about that on Wednesday a little bit. And so that's why he tells her that. Now, you're going to go home. Now, you know, I think, I think about that woman. I bet she didn't rush home. I bet she dawdled all the way there. What do I do? Maybe if I don't go home, you know? Well, no. I mean, she must have figured out later, I got to go home sometime. Eventually, she figured it out. So I feel for her. The thus and thus isn't over. Here's thus and thus part two. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. And this is the day. What even now? For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land. He's talking about the Babylonian captivity. It's going to happen later. Which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river. And here's why. Because they have made their wooden images, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and who made Israel sin. The nation of Israel comes to that beautiful first city. Remember Jericho? Boy, we love that as a church. And we have coloring pages and we march and we blow our trumpets. And we love that. Only reason they get into that land is because they're being obedient to God. And the only reason the people that are currently living there are being evicted is because they're so disobedient to God for 400 years. They had a chance to repent and turn back to God. He waited 400 years for them to repent. They never did. So here comes Israel. He's got to teach Israel a lesson. I'm going to uproot you from this land. He's going to bring them back. But this is where a father who's watching a wayward kid, group of people, walking away from him, he intervenes. If I let this go, it's all lost. 
In fact, my witness on this earth is lost because I've called you and chosen you, not because you're mighty, not because you're a great people, because I wanted to set my love upon you and for you to return it to me. And that way the world can know that I'm the true and living God and they can come worship me too. And I'm losing my witness right now. I've got to step in. It's a much bigger issue. So I'm going to evict you out of the land. That's going to take a while to happen, but that's what's going to happen. Prophecy's been given. I'm going to remove you. And here's why. You're worshiping everything but me. Everything in this world has preeminence over me. In fact, you don't even like to remind yourself of me. You've replaced me. You've told everybody that I'm a golden calf. You know how insulting that is to God? What did they specifically say? This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. No, it isn't. I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt, he says. I'm the one that did it. I'm the one that brought the ten plagues. I'm the one that told you to put the lamb's blood on the doorposts of your house so that everybody on the other side, no matter who they are or what they did, will be saved from the angel of death. And you're saying it's just this calf? No, I will not share my glory. That calf doesn't love you. That calf can't talk. It can't do anything. That's why you came to me. But I can he says. So no, I'm not going to share that with anybody. You guys need to start worshiping the true and living God. You're worshiping a piece of metal. It's ridiculous to even think that way. Guys, as Christians, we live in a world that says it doesn't matter what you worship or how you worship. It doesn't matter whether it's Krishna or whether it's Allah. It's It's all the same God. No, it isn't. No other God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and applied the blood of his son to the doorposts of all of our hearts for anybody, no matter what you've ever done, to be saved from your sins. He doesn't even ask who's behind the door. That's how beautiful this salvation is. I don't care who's on the other side of this door. Just do it. If you're here this morning and you've never applied the blood of Jesus Christ to the doorpost of your heart, and what I mean by that is, I know that's weird terminology. If you're a new person, you're like, what are you talking about? You say, here's the truth. Jesus died for you. You were going to hell. You had decided to walk away from the Lord. You've lived your life your own way. You've been governing yourself your whole life. And God has stepped in now and says, you're done doing that. I want to save you from that. You've rebellion against me has caused you to determine you're on the road to death. I've got a road to life if you'll take it. And it only has one doorway, and that's through Jesus Christ. You choose this door. You go through the door of Jesus Christ. You receive him as your Lord and Savior. He's the propitiation for my sins. All that means is he took my place. Instead of me dying, he died. You are applying the blood to the doorposts of your heart at that point. I believe on Jesus for my salvation. Please receive him this morning. Get off this road. It doesn't land. It doesn't end well. There's one destination on it, and that's hell. Go through this door. As Christians, we know that. That's why we say Christian. We know that, right? I mean, we should have to educate ourselves on this, but saying I'm a Christian means I'm a little Christ. I follow Jesus. He's my Savior, but He's my Lord. He's King. He created everything. I walk with Him. I talk with Him. I do what He wants me to do. And He's so beautiful. I'm madly in love with Him. That's what Christian means. If it means anything less than that to you, that needs to change this morning. It has to. 
I will not share my glory. You can't worship a calf and call it me. It wasn't me. It wasn't them. It's not me. I am who I am. I'm to be known. I've given you a book that describes me, what I like, what I don't like, what I call sin, what I don't call sin, what's good for you, what's bad for you. I've given you everything you need, including the way out of the trouble, the hole you dug. So many Christians have received that ladder out of the pit that you dug full of your sin, climbed out of it, named Jesus Christ, and walked away and said, hey, thanks, big man, and started digging another hole. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up with true salvation. So I'm going to find somebody, he says, who will. So Jeroboam's wife arose, departed, and came to Terza. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. Prophecy confirmed. And they buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now, the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war, how he reigned, Indeed, are they written in the books? Are they not written? You know, they are written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. Uh, the period that Jeremiah reigned was 22 years, so he rested with his fathers. Then Nadab, the son, uh, his son, reigned in his place. Now we're going to switch to Judah. That was Israel. Now we're going to the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, house of David. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name, his mother's name was Nema, the Ammonitess. Now, Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed more than all their fathers had done. And they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And there was also perverted persons in the land. Those are the homosexuals and the sodomites. They did according to all that the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. It happened in the fifth year of, the, of King Rehoboam that uh, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. Egypt's been sitting there. That's the world. They, they, they've been watching Israel. They've been watching this. And so far, they don't want to tangle with this God again that they tangled with before. But now he sees them fighting and a civil war going on. And he sees that their God is mad at them. And what a great opportunity to step in. And so they're going to take everything. They're going to rob them blind because they have no God to protect them. They've rejected the Lord. It says, he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold seals, which, shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place. What a perfect difference in metals. Gold represents deity. They've lined the inside of the uh, temple with it. Bronze represents judgment. How fitting that they lose their golden shield and now they've got judgment shields. It's a perfect example of typology. So King Rehoboam made the bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. That's the only people that got the shields were the guys guarding him. And they didn't even have enough to go around. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them, and then they brought them back to the guard room. We had to borrow. We got to share shields. Now, the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Nema, the Ammonitess. Uh, then um, Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. Before we get into 15, 
I want to pause here for a minute. The house is divided. You'll hear that a lot today, politically speaking. Oh, a house divided against itself. I don't know why I have an Irish accent, but today it's Irish, okay? <laughs> a house divided against itself. It's not even a very good one. Cannot stand. I'll go back to Midwest accent. Guys, you need to know what that scripture is in context. Any, uh, uh, try to get off my soapbox. It's too late. I'm already on it. Guys, politically speaking, you cannot use that scripture today for what's going on in our country right now. We're in a civil war for ideology. You absolutely have to pick a side. You absolutely need to participate and I'll tell you why. Scripturally speaking, oh, house divided. Can't we? Why is there red and blue? Why are there donkeys and elephants? Can't we just be purple and platypus? You know? No. No. You can't. We are not. When the scriptures talk about this stuff, do you understand they're talking about Nero? King, an emperor Nero who used to take Christians and stick them on poles and dip them in tar and light him on fire and ride naked in his chariot through his garden saying, you're the light of the world. I mean, the guy was batty. We don't live in that world. We live in a country where the government is for the people, by the people, and of the people. In other words, it's my responsibility to make sure my government operates properly or as close to godly as I can. I stand up for righteousness. You have to. To not participate, to pull some scripture is lazy. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring unity. I didn't come to bring people together. I, bring, I, I came to divide. I came as a sword. They're divided right now because they're a bunch of brats trying to govern themselves. This scripture was last quoted by Lincoln in his speech. Great speech. A little too much for them at the time, but it was a great speech. Do you understand? Does anybody wish that Lincoln had just gotten along with everybody? That we shouldn't have divided over this issue? He wasn't saying that. He was saying, now that we've figured this out, let's get back together again, but under authority. Under God's authority. That's why he's pulling Scripture out of his hat. He had a big hat. That's why he's using Scripture. A nation, we need to be under God. Absolutely under his authority. I, I just, it's, it's just, I don't know. You need to read the entire counsel of God. Look, we all, if you're a Christian here this morning, and I hope you all are, but if you're not, you need to be one. You raised your hand and you declared citizenship in heaven. I am a citizen of heaven. He is my king. I am a subject in his house, and I'm an ambassador here on earth. You know what an ambassador does? They step into another country and they live there and they have diplomatic immunity. It's beautiful. We've moved into back into this world after swearing an oath to our God, I will serve you and love you all the days of my life. And we have now stepped in as ambassadors in this world into a country where they let us vote. And I can determine whether I want this country to be more like my citizenship, my hometown, heaven, or I can vote to have it go the other way. You have a personal responsibility and a responsibility to your king to vote for righteousness. You have to. Okay. Here's what the scripture says in context. A house divided itself against itself can't stand. Here's the deal. Then the chapter 3, uh, John, I think. No, not John. Um, Mark. One of them gospels. Um, it's starting in verse 20. It's chapter 3, 20, one of them. You figure it out. Read them all. That'd be good for you. 
Then the, I didn't write it down. That's why I'm putting it on you. Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. They're so fat and happy they can't even eat bread right now. But when his own people, Jesus' own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him and they said, he's out of his mind. So that's his closest friends. You must have done lost your mind, Jesus. That's what his friends are saying. Now the other side says this. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem says, he has Beelzebub or Satan. And by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. So that's the people that hate Jesus and want to kill him. His friends think he's crazy and his enemies think he's Satan himself. And that's when he steps in and brings them all to school. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. He's talking about Satan and hell. Not talking about America. He's not talking about Israel. He's talking about Satan and hell. How can Satan come up and say, get out of here, Satan? That doesn't even make sense. You guys aren't even thinking right is what he's trying to teach him. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then he will plunder his house. And in that part of the story, Jesus is the robber. It's the only time you'll ever see him being the bad guy or what you think is a bad guy. He goes, first I got to sneak into his house. I'm going to tie him up. I'm going to take everything he's got. I'm going to bind Satan. I'm going to defeat him at the cross. I'm going to bind death. Death has no victory over me. I'm going to take everybody he ever thought he had. Anybody who wants to anyway. That's it in context. So don't let anybody pull that on you. Well, how is that? We just need to all get along in America and get some things done. No, things are getting done. We're undoing so much of Satan's handiwork. Stepping off my soapbox now. In the 18th I got five minutes to do another chapter. Ready? In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, son of Nathan, I'm going to sound like one of those commercials at the end, you know? <laughs> There's not actually... In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, Abijam, became king over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Mekah. Uh, the granddaughter of uh, Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. This was the heart of his father, David. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord, uh, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up, on, uh, setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the sight of the Lord, or in the eyes of the Lord, and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. In other words, Bathsheba. God says, no, nah, I, never, I never liked that. I was never a part of that. It's never good. So he throws that out there. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now, the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah, kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. So Abijam rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, yay, Asa, we love Asa. His son reigned in his place. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah, and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Mekah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. Now, take note of that, because he doesn't do everything right, but as far as God's concerned, he did enough right. He still leaves the high places, but he starts tearing everything out. He begins to undo so much of the previous administration's work. He wasn't perfect. 
He didn't get it all done. But he was right in the eyes of God here. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father. Anybody that comes into my wayward kid's life and comes alongside him and says, you know what, buddy? I don't care really much about them, but if they're leading them towards Jesus at all, I'm praying for that kid. Oh, talk to him. Minister to that kid. Help him to knock on my son or my daughter's, and none of my kids are wayward. I don't mean to throw them under the bus like that, but if they were. I'd be for that kid. Yes, bring him back. Bring him closer. I don't care. And you'll get closer too along the way. And Asa does. Asa, as he begins to undo the previous administration and all these other kings' garbage, Life gets better. People get closer to God. It says he removed, he says he banished all the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his father, uh, his fathers had made, the grandpa, great-grandpa, and so on. Also, he removed Mecca, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. Ew, she's like that kind of grandma, you know? Asher was like a, a fertility goddess kind of thing. And she, this grandma was like queen of that, you know. There, there, are, there are grandmas and then there's grandmas, you know. This is like the one you don't take your kids to their house, you know. I want to be the kind of grandpa where the kids can come and they can visit and the grandkids can come and it's like a safe place. We're going to talk about the Lord there. Now, I'm going to corrupt them a little bit. I'm just going to throw that out there right away candy or whatever, whatever I can come up with. But spiritually speaking, no way. No way. We're going to talk about the Lord. We're going to worship the Lord. And, and they'll, never have, they'll never have to worry about that part of it. I'm going to be that kind of grandpa. This grandma, not so much. She's kind of that one. She's still, oh, better not say that. She's still the one that goes to the casino, kind of, you know. She's that kind of grandma. Sorry, if, if you're a grandma that goes to the casino, you probably should stop. Anyway, and he banished the perverted person. And he also took Clara Green from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image to Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron. I mean, he's going to town. Not only going to cut it down and put it in storage, we're going to burn it. We're going to have a bonfire with your idol, Grandma. Weird as that sounds. But the high places were not removed. That's why it says, but. But the high, not all the way there. You know, didn't do it all. It would have been nice if he did. All right, two minutes. I'm not doing too bad here. All right. Um, he also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold utensils. So it begins to bring back what Egypt had taken. It's nice. Back into the house of the Lord. Now, they're not going to stay there, and it's going to be a bad thing, but he's, he's trying. He's, you can see his heart, and God sees his heart. He's going to put them in. He's going to take them right back out here. And God's not happy with that. We're going to find that out in Chronicles, um, which kind of rehashes a lot of these stories. But for now, hey, good job, Asa. Now, there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. So he's getting things right. And the 10 tribes are still being kind of naughty and, and following their own gods. And they're still at battle. And Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah. Now, this is like a city. We're going to build a city right here. And you can't even come into our area. So they start to build this city. They're not going to finish it, though. Okay, so remember that. Ramah is being built. We're going to build this Ramah. It's going to be like a gate, fortress, citadel. Keep all you guys down south. We don't like you southerners. That he, might not, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasury of the house 
of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house. That's the stuff he just brought in and bringing it back out again. And delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of uh, Tibramon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria. So he's trying to make a treaty with this Syrian group. Syrian group had been with the 10 tribes of Israel, kind of helping and fighting. He's trying to break that alliance with this goal, with these gifts, okay? Um, it's kind of a worldly thing to do and should really trust the Lord, but he's not. So we get the story here. Um, and they dwelt in Damascus and he says, let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I've sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Bashan, king of Israel, um, so that he will withdraw from me. So Benadad heeded King Asa, and he sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. So now they just turn around and start fighting the ten tribes of Israel. Well, that gets them busy to where they leave that city unbuilt. He attacked um, Ijon, Dan, Abel, uh, Beth Mecca, um, and all uh, Shinroth with all the land of Naphtali. Now it happened. When Basha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah and remained in Terza. So he's got him so busy that he forgot that. He's got an open construction site down there with all the materials are still there. So King Asa made a proclamation through all Judah. None was exempted. And they took away the stones and timber from Ramah. So they raid this construction site and they take it all back, which Basha had used for building. Um, and with them, King Asa built Gibeah. Uh, of Benjamin and Mizpah. So he uses their stuff to build a city for himself. The rest of all the acts of Asa, all his might, all that he did, and the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in this, or in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. So Asa rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. So that's the end of Asa. And then it goes back downhill again as we finish up today. I just want to, side note, just to break this up a little bit, because I'm just going to read and finish. You got a prophet who's blind, and you got a good king who's got problems with his feet. Just throwing that out there. Just because you got health issues doesn't mean you're in rebellion against God. Sometimes that gets said, and you need to, you know, why doesn't God heal me? Why does he, you know, I don't know. Maybe you can't see because God wants you to see spiritually more. Maybe you got bad feet because you keep running in the wrong direction. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you and isn't with you. Okay, back to the story. Um, now, Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. So we're, we're up in the ten tribes again. Who, who's king now? It's Nadab. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in, the, in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. Great. He's doing wrong again. And Basha, the son of, ah of Ahijah, the house of Issachar, conspired against him. So he doesn't live long. Now they're doing coups against each other. And Basha killed him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nebah and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it was so. When he became king, that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. That's what it needed to get to. Everything that was prophesied five years ago in the last chapter that we just read in chapter 14 just happened right here. It only took five years for that prophecy to be fulfilled. First, the kid dies to prove that the prophecy was true. Now, all of Jeroboam's family's dead, okay, through this. 
He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite, because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he had sinned, and by which he had made Israel sin, because of his provocation, um, with which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Now, the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? I'm sure they are. And there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. And then we're done here with, in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, uh, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel in Terzah and reigned 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and uh, in his sin by which he had made Israel's sin. And that's your positive, encouraging message from Calvary this morning. I know. Good job listening to me read two whole chapters. But here's the thing. We have two paths. If you take anything away, we've got two paths. And if anything, we've read, this is what this path down here, this path of death looks like. I guarantee you this week, God has set you up to make a decision already. And I, I'm telling you today, make a decision. Whatever fork in the road comes my way in this life this week, I'm choosing life. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care if it's preferable. I don't care how easy this road is over here. I am following God this week. You make that decision this morning, it'll make Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whenever that thing comes, much easier. You won't even miss a stride. You'll be walking and say, God already told me about this. And you'll just go right on. You won't even miss a step. Anybody ever get that stuck point where you're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. You know, Lord of the flies. That's perfect. That was good. Thank you. That was just really good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for our time in your word. We thank you for your honesty. Thank you for warning us. I pray that we'd heed your warning. Lord, this morning, some people don't know you. Maybe they thought they did. Maybe they called you as... Their, their Savior, but you've never been Lord. They want to make that change this morning. Please pray with me now. Jesus, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. Not just Savior, not just someone I have in my back pocket, not a baptismal certificate, but I want you to be Lord, King of my life. I want to be a citizen of heaven. And I want to be an ambassador for you down here. I want to walk this road of life, no matter what the consequences you had consequences where your best friends were calling you crazy and everybody else thought you were Satan. And if that's the road that I have, that's the road I take. But to, today I make that decision. I follow you. You are my king. I live for you. I thank you for that, God. I want, I want to live my whole life serving you and being an ambassador for you, letting the world know that they need you. Lord, help us to do that this week. I pray that you give us opportunities to show that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.